Am I the only one here tonight? Shaking my head and thinking something ain't right. Is it just me? Am I losing my mind? Am I standing on the edge of the end of time? Am I the only one? Tell me I'm not. Who thinks of taking all the good we got and turning it back? Bullet for being free. Screaming, what the fuck in my TV? You telling me, yeah, you telling me, am I the only one willing to fight for my love of the red and white and the blue? Burning on the ground, another statue coming down, and you tell me. Watching the threads of old glory come undone. Am I the only one brainwashed? Amen. Through the land of the lost, still gives a shit and worries about his kids. All the shit they teach them in the schools. Am I the only one? Take no more screaming. If you don't like it, there's a fucking door. The same old freedom we've been fighting for. There was something more. There was something more. Am I the only one? You blankety blanks want to put down this country, but you didn't fight to keep us free. But you're going to abuse that freedom of speech. And those men I was with tonight, they'll fight for you, even though they disagree with you and don't like you. But they'll fight so you're free to spit that bullshit out. Springsteen song or put a De Niro movie or an Alec Baldwin movie or a Matt Damon movie or Whoopi Goldberg I'm, they're not, they won't get my money in Afghanistan in August the USA, I'm not the only one willing to fight for my love of the red and white and the blue. Burning on the ground, another statue coming down in a town near you. Watching the threads of old glory come undone. I'm not the only one I can't be the only one 
Amen, brother. Amen. I give one of my body parts that is no longer necessary to have a drink with that guy and to talk. He had Charlie Daniels and George Jones on a song. And, you know, I want to have a song to introduce into the podcast. Um, I I did different national anthems, but it took me a long time to search to find the right one. Um, And as much as I love hearing the national anthem, uh, it takes time. Uh, just, and I've, I've already recorded two podcasts tonight. This is number three. I don't know how long I'm going to be, but, um, even from the finish of the last one till now, there's things that I have to do and I've got a, a dinosaur of a computer, so that doesn't help, but just that for that song to play and get, and, you know, I'm like, it's a pain in the ass. Um, so that kind of played a small factor into it. Not enough for me not to come in here and do what I'm doing right now and just have a diarrhea of the mouth. Uh, but tonight was the first night, even though I've had people tell me in the past, over the past several months, where are you at? I enjoyed it. I needed it. It it helped me, you know. Uh, whatever those comments, kind words were, um, tonight, it kind of hit me. Um, I work nights. I'm a night owl. Friday's my night off. Uh, I try, even on my night off, to stay up till 10 a.m. And this is as constructive as anything uh, in the past couple months, I, I'm reading, I'm, I'm, I'm learning. I'm trying to edify, uh, in other words, reinforce conservative values, principles, uh, not through current events, but through history, which I've mentioned. Uh, but I want to talk about what we've been through as a country, as a, as a planet the last couple of years. The difference is America is this experiment that is brand new in all of mankind. Even when Jesus walked the earth, there was slavery. Uh, the Bible talks about Moses, uh, you know, the Jews being slaves. And uh, Moses' mother putting him in the little basket down the river. And uh, uh, I think the Pharaoh's daughter gets him. And he grows up and eventually turns and, and leads the Jews to wander for 40 days and 40 nights. Or I'm sorry, 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, I'm getting my stories mixed up. But nevertheless, think about it. And, and Moses was a leader. He was a tall man, great stature. He was a leader, but he didn't want to be. And the people, you know, were, they, 
they didn't, they probably believed. I'm not a Bible, you know, person or theo, uh, what theologian, I guess, or pre- preacher or whatever, but it's history. And we can learn from it. Plus, it's, it's the Bible. It's the Word of God. So you can't go wrong with it. Um, I may not express it or communicate it well or demonstrate it well, but it's the Word of God. But it does teach us a lesson. They were freed from slaves. Some of them wanted to go back because they had a routine. They were used to it. They knew what they had to do. They had purpose. And some of them wanted to go back. Moses did not want to be a leader. But he was chosen to be a leader. So God made him wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And he said, I freed you. I made you free men and women, etc. But it's, it's not good enough for you. So I'm going to free you, but you're going to have to suffer a little bit. You're going to have to learn that your freedom is worth earning, that it's not automatic. Our founding fathers knew that if they broke away from the British Empire, that they could start a new country, that they could look back through the republics of Greece and Rome the only two great republics in human history were big R republics where the people basically governed themselves. They were representative government of the people. No, no tyranny. But each time they eventually evolved to tyranny of some form of, or another, an emperor that ruled. You know, they still had a Senate. The senators, Brutus, uh, maybe Cassius, I, I, don't quote me, but I know Brutus It betrayed Julius Caesar, the famous line from Shakespeare, et tu, Brute, you too, Brutus. So they had a Senate. They still had a Republic, but they were led by emperors. And they had good ones and they had bad ones. I think I may have talked about Marcus Aurelius, who had the meditations. Um, tremendous self-help book. It's a book, it's skinny book, okay? Uh, so it's not long, but it's a book that you can put in your purse or if you put it on your telephone and you can just open it up anywhere and it'll have something, if you're having a bad day, that'll help you. Stuck in bumper to bumper tra- traffic, pull it out of whatever, your glove compartment or your purse and just read a couple, just open it up anywhere. By the way, Marcus Aurelius is the one that Hannibal Lecter quoted to Clarice in when they moved him to Tennessee and she went to take his drawings back to him and he was speaking to her 
And uh, he, I think it was first principles. What is the first principle? Uh, you know, a man, and I say man as in human, man does what comes natural. Um, and what does, what does this guy do? She said he kills. No, that's inconsequential. What does he do? And he said he covets. What do we covet? We covet what we see every day. Um, little side note, Marcus Aurelius. Uh, he was an emperor uh, for like 18 or 19 years. Was gone from Rome for like 13. His son was the next emperor and was one of the most horrible, nastiest, murderous emperors Rome had. So you can see right there, just in that, uh, that you have a guy like Marcus Aurelius that is a, a tremendous thinker. He's a fighter. He's a warrior. Uh, he wrote a book as a diary. So when he was out fighting wars, he could open that book up and, and see and give himself advice. He didn't write that down to be published. He wrote it down for self-edification. So I'm not Marcus Aurelius, um, but in, in my absence, I've been trying to uh, edify and reinforce what I believe and, and understand history. I said this earlier, but we have to do it. You have to do it because society and culture throws so much at us. These wacko leftists, they're throwing more at us than we can defend adequately. As citizens, as parents, um, you have to defend yourself. You have to stand up in whatever way. It's no longer good enough to just go to the polls every two or four years or uh, vote in local primaries. The, the stuff in Virginia with the, the school boards, the stuff with Garrett, uh, Merrick Garland, they want to silence us because they know that the people can get them out of power. We have that power. If we elect the right people, that's why they hated Trump. Because he motivated us. They hated Trump because of his personality and his attitude and his fight and his grit. But Trump represented us. He represented me, the, the redneck ocean wave man that grew up and fortunately I was the oldest, but my brothers had to wear hand-me-downs. You know, the, the redneck in Dearborn, Michigan, that all he wants to do is go to work every day and maybe a couple of times in the fall go out and shoot a deer and cut it up and throw it on his grill. Or the, the duck hunter in 
Louisiana or Arkansas that that want to get a few ducks, pluck them, cut them, clean them, throw them in the freezer and have uh, duck dressing at Thanksgiving. You know, just regular folks, regular people that want to go to work, mind their own business, do their job, provide for their families, and live their lives free. And raise their kids like my parents did. And that was to be better off than their station in life. John Adams, my favorite of the founding fathers, told his son, John Quincy Adams, which later became president. Um, coincidentally, when he ran the second time against Andrew Jackson, one of the most vile, cruel, um, just nastiest presidential elections in history. So when you hear about politics today, uh, Jackson and Adams was as bad as it gets. Adams and Jefferson was bad. I talked about that before, but um, it was bad. I mean, politics is a dirty, nasty business. Uh, so don't let what you hear today in the media and the news shape your, your opinions or shape your beliefs or your principles. I've talked earlier in another podcast about the Revolutionary War. It was only about 33% of the country in favor. 33 or so percent was, was, was in favor of staying loyal to the British Empire. And then you had the 33% that were ambivalent, that would go along to get along. It's about how it was. So this country has always been divided. The Civil War. Are you telling me that we're more divided now than we were back then when you had brother fighting against brother for whatever reason? Literally. Brother against brother. Fighting. For what they believed in. Right or wrong. 600,000 Americans. I mean, I think there was 20, 25 million total Americans. Just from memory. That's a significant amount of the population. More, probably, more than we've lost in all the other wars, including uh, 9-11. I don't know that, I'm guessing. But that's how significant of a number that is. And that was 160 years ago. And we fought to prove that this country was founded on solid moral principles that all men are created equal, that the government 
will rule, govern, with the consent of the governed. And I, I, I'm, I know I'm preaching on that. But when these people get on TV with what may as well be a, a bullhorn preaching critical race theory or 1619 project, they are either ignorant of our actual history or they are lying. Because if you go back and li listen to the Lincoln-Douglas debates, Lincoln researched how the founding fathers voted on issues of slavery. And I'll go ahead. I, I don't. I'm, I may have covered it in a previous podcast. I'll go ahead and cover it again. Um, and don't. I'm going to try and get the numbers as right as possible because this is the truth about the history of our founding fathers and what this country was founded on the moral principles. Okay, so 1776, we signed the Declaration of Independence. These men put their their lives, their families' lives, their fortunes on the line. I mean, they may have been captured and killed, shot, or they may have been tortured. They may have been taken on a boat across the pond to uh, uh, England and faced a mock trial and hung for treason. They may have taken their wives and daughters and done vile things. But these men that put their lives on the line and risked their lives, their families, and their fortune, their property, they knew that men were free, that God wanted man to be free because they were godly men. George Washington, a, a godly man. People can talk about Jefferson because of the letter that he wrote that the Dems, the Libs, used for separation of church and state. But even Jefferson was a godly man. Now, he may have said remarks that seem to contradict it, but he said that he knows God is a just God and he fears what God will do to this country for slavery. Because I think him and John Adams may have died. Well, I know they died before the Civil War. But uh, in 1820, you had the Missouri Compromise, which basically went against what the Founding Fathers wanted on slavery. And Jefferson made the remark, it's like a, a tiger that you've got by the tail. You know, you don't know whether to let him go or to hang on. Because there's no good outcome. Because they wanted this to be a free country. So I've mentioned at the signing of, or the ratifying of the Constitution, 1787, September 17th, 1787. By the way, September 17th is Constitution Day. So five states allowed blacks to vote, black men. Okay, we're not perfect, but we try to correct as we, we go along. 
That's the beauty of the Constitution. The rights are there. The limits on government are there. If, if it's not there, then the 10th Amendment says it's up to the states. And most state governments that were formed, especially back then, basically had the same type of premise that if it's not covered in the state constitution, then it's up to the local government. Because back in the old days, the local government was superior, reigned. And then the state and the federal government was small. And now look at it. Depending on where you live, New York, Chicago, LA, you've got a big local city government. Jacksonville it does, but we got, you know, we're a pretty big city. But if you look at a, a small town, Ocala, Lottie, uh, Waldo, their local government that handles those kids and those families is, is just a little old footprint. Because there's more federal and state laws that tell them what they can't do. And that's what government does. It restricts you. It takes your freedom. I talk about a circle of freedom. Every time any state or federal government make a law, it's, it has a potential to reduce your circle of liberty or freedom to infringe on your rights, especially the last two years with COVID. That's, they, I've never seen a two year period or recall in what little I know about history, uh, a, a two year power grab. I mean, Obama, Bush Obama in, in around 08 and that financial crisis but that was mainly for business, not everyday Americans. I don't know about other uh, illnesses, or but I, I just don't. I've never heard in American history another power grab like what we went through the last two years. And Fauci, you know, even when I, I'm going to work and listening to the radio, the top of the hour news. I have to hear this blankety blank saying masks may have to come back. Lockdowns, you know, the whole thing. And I'm like, dude, why don't you retire? Somebody put a bullet in him. I'm not advocating violence, but you know, disappear, retire. You're in your 80s. You're getting 400 grand a month or, or a year to retire. The richest government pension in American history. Right into the sunset. Like Shane in the movie. Well, not like Shane because Shane was dead. But right off into the sunset. Like an old western and retire. Be a good, good government official and retire and live off the taxpayer at 400 grand per year. So when I say it's up to us, you have to be willing to do your part. 
we all have a role. We all have potential. Um, if you have kids, if they're in school, go to your school board meetings. Um, find out what the curriculum is. Uh, get involved in the PTA. I know my son was special needs. And so I was involved in all that. And they hated it. I, I was in uh, several meetings with school board uh, officials, not board members, but uh, psychologists, psychiatrists. Uh, I can remember one meeting in maybe second or third grade that there's probably 10 or 12 school or education officials. And I got my first wife that's there uh, and me both, you know, I'm officially a high school graduate. Um, I'm self-taught. I'll just put it that way. I try to learn as much as I can. I, I've always had a philosophy. If you don't know, learn. If you do know, teach. Um, kind of what the purpose of this podcast is. Uh, it, it does me no good to have this useless knowledge. I have yet to find a person that will allow me the ability to sit down and talk the way I talk to you. And I've, like I said earlier, you guys have come up and said, hey, where's it at, man? Where's the information? I miss it. I miss hearing your voice. I'm, I'm you know, so it's a win-win. I, you know, two wives, neither one of them like to hear it. Um, of course, I don't know. No offense to either one of you if you ever listen to this podcast that you were worthy enough to hear it. But they were not political animals. Um, but that's part of the problem. A lot of us don't necessarily consider ourselves political animals. But we bitch and complain about the gas prices. We bitch when we go to the store and the, the, the bread or the butter is, is higher or whatever. I mean, I, I cook. I've, I've been doing a lot of cooking. Uh, and I know from October-ish, when it first kind of got a little cold snap, and I, I wanted to... to make some chili to the last time in February I made chili. It, it was outrageous. I'm looking at the prices and I'm like, but I know why. They That's what they want. That's what the government wants. They, the government wants chaos. They want um, misery. because eventually they want to control everything. So I'm 31 minutes, th going on 32 minutes into this podcast. I'm not gonna put money on whether or not I get to part of that, that when I say the government wants this, uh, but that's one of the things that's been on my mind that I need to convey. I need to communicate. I need to demonstrate. When I said in the last 
the second hour that all of this has been done before. This is nothing new. I want to be able to demonstrate that. What I, I want to do first, though, is go through history and give you examples of people standing up for what they believe in. Um, there's probably hundreds or, or, or thousands of examples, but two that stick out to me through my education. The, the second one, which is Henry David Thoreau, was in school. The first one, Socrates, uh, my teacher at Bowles in 10th grade covered Socrates, but in my Western Civ class, but didn't go into depth about the, the, the Greek philosophers, the first Western thinkers. Um, he talked about Homer, the Iliad, and the Odyssey. Uh, by the way, whether people know or not, the Odyssey was written, uh, I'm going to guess, 1000 B.C. Okay, don't quote me as a guess. But the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? is loosely based on the Odyssey. Tough read. Tough, tough read. If you try to tackle it, you may want to read it out loud. Uh, but it's certainly not um, the divine comedy or, you know, uh, the Inferno by Dante. Dante, there's two people. Those who like or love Dante and those who have not read Dante. But the Odyssey is what, uh, where, oh brother, where art thou? It's what it was loosely based on. Tremendous movie. Um, I could quote it the rest of this podcast. But so there was in Western Civ, you had Co or Homer and they didn't cover the, either book, the Iliad or the Odyssey a whole lot. And they moved to Socrates, uh, Plato and Aristotle in that order. Socrates taught Plato, Plato taught Aristotle. Uh, and by the way, this is from 10th grade that I first learned of the Greek philosophers and thinkers. But the reason I remembered who taught who was just a trick. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, in that order. Spa. So, you know, it's not that I do have a pretty good recall, but I had some good teachers and I, I, I used tricks and things like that to help retain information. So we don't have anything really written by Socrates. What we have is Plato, uh, Xenophon, um, I think it's Aristophanes was another student, but he would teach his students. And so uh, Socrates was tried and convicted by the Athenian government, the, the government of Athens, and was convicted twice uh, for not believing in the gods, okay, uh, for philosophizing, for teaching philosophy. Uh, Socrates is the first in Western culture 
to tell us that justice is not the guy who has the biggest stick. Today's jargon, the bully. Um, today's world, the Democrats, the liberals are the bullies. They want to talk about bullies in school and, and so on and so forth. Republicans, uh, they're not tolerant. They hate speech, blah, blah, blah. They're the, the bullies. They are the bullies. Make no mistake about it. Uh, Michigan, California, uh, New Jersey. And, and not only are they bullies, they want to turn the people into bullies. Uh, and all of this, I hope to demonstrate. Because again, trying to pit citizen against citizen is nothing new. It's an age-old tactic. But again, so you go to Socrates, convicted twice for uh, philosophizing, for trying to, to teach man, kids, the right way to live, the right way to think, the right way to approach life. Plato's Republic, the, the, the way to uh, form a culture or a government society. Uh, some take the Republic the wrong way. Some don't read it the way it's intended. And it, what it's intended is to show you that basically socialism cannot succeed. So that has been going on. So he doesn't necessarily offer the right way to, to run a government, to form a government. But he says, what doesn't work? You cannot have a government that is good for everybody because it's, it's impossible because everybody's not the same. But in the Republic, they, you know, I mentioned drones in one of the last podcasts. The drones, that's what they turn us into in socialism. They teach our kids that they put them in a cave and it's a tremendous, uh, I don't know, allegory maybe of these kids in a cave in rows and your head is fastened. So you can't turn and look from side to side. You just look in the, at the, the thing on the wall and it's like hand puppets. And so you teach the kids, you basically indoctrinate the kids. So when the kids grow up, they're good little drones. They fall into line. Sound familiar? When you start with the kids and you put them in a cave and it's a stark contrast. No, kids were not in caves. Even back in 500 uh, BC, they were not in caves. But Plato, through Socrates, put them into a cave, fastened their head. So they couldn't even look at the student sitting next to them. So the only way to escape the cave was to learn and, and to basically fall into line and see the light and basically be a good drone. And for the most part, families, you want to know how family life was? The family was, since it was socialism, you didn't know as a child who your mother and father were. You were raised by the community. You didn't have a wife. You didn't have love. 
It was basically free love, which they loved back in the 60s, you know. And and why? And speaking of that, you know, I think Bill and Hillary got married in the, in the 60s. And I'm like, dude, it was free love back then. I would have loved to have been back there. Just saying, you know. Um, but, uh, and you chose her. All the crap going on back in the 60s, Woodstock, all that shit, bra burning, and you chose her. And back then, when you were blind as a bat, you didn't have contacts or, you know, special glasses. You had Coke bottles. But, and that thought just occurred to me. It never occurred to me all the years I followed politics and Clinton president eight years. It never occurred to me that he basically married her in the free love era. But I don't know. I, I don't think he was ever in love with her. I just think they were, it was one of these marriages beneficial to each other. Um, and you can go to the clinic and, you know, in the little jar and, and then we'll do artificial insemination. I don't know. I shouldn't, but it's just so odd anyway. So the kids getting back to quasi my point. So it starts with the kids and then the family, there is no family, so to speak. You don't know who your parents are. You don't have a wife. It's just, it's a free society. And it's loveless. It's soulless. Kind of like the Soviet Union. Communism. The word socialism. Social. Communism. A commune. Doesn't Plato's Republic sound like a commune? Like these, uh, you know, these wacko groups that form when they're up in the mountains or something? And, but even then, you know, their structure, you know, there's uh, a guy's with a woman or a guy may have five women. I don't know. But the kids know their parents or they know the mama. In the South, we got to say it. How do you know who your daddy is? You know because your mama told you so. But they at least even in those types of communes, they have a family structure. Ultimately, socialism does not. Now, it may not go to that extreme. But who determines what's right for everybody? No matter what, the government, you have to be governed. There's got to be politics. So when I'm married to a woman that's ambivalent and refuses to vote or get involved, that means I failed. Um, no, I shouldn't say failed. 
Well, yeah, because even if you disagree with me, which number two did, at least you could still vote. You you know, vote for the wacko Clinton should have been in jail instead of on the presidential ticket, but nevertheless, get involved. Um, we can no longer simply rely on voting. It's not going to work because they've proven through these two years that they're going to overreach. They're going to use COVID and masks and restrictions and regulations. And, and we know what's better for you. And the media is going to fall right in line. They're going to say, not only are they going to fall in line, they're going to defend the leaders that know better. Even though they, they don't realize, the media doesn't realize that eventually when society fails under socialism, it affects you. It's going to affect everybody except for the, the top probably half or quarter percent of the government. It cannot succeed. You will have cities like New York that, that will starve, that will riot, that will be like escape from New York. That's what socialism. If you look back to the, uh, what is it, Kurt Russell movie, Escape from New York, that scenario, science fiction, that is what socialism will get to you. Because you won't have farmers in, in the Midwest or the South or wherever. They may be growing the corn, but they you won't have shipping. You won't have trucks because gas will be out the, out the, the, the wazoo. Electrical power grids go down. So if you have an electrical 18-wheeler, it ain't going nowhere. Trains, fuels out the ass. And it fails. If I'd have thought about it, I'd have printed the, one, a story that talks about uh, not necessarily the supply chain, but how something so simple requires so many different moving parts. Uh, I may have mentioned this in the first podcast. One of the books that I've read a couple of times, uh, obsessive compulsive, uh, but I've read it. I've listened to it on audiobook. you know, as a truck driver. Uh, I, that's a, a way for me to pass time and stay awake. Uh, and that's where I got the quote from. The quote, I'll say it again. I swear by my life and love of it that I will never live for the sake of another man nor ask another man to live for the sake of mine. Now, basically what's that, what that is saying, and, and that was from 1957, uh, but it's saying the same thing that Lincoln said in the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Slavery is asking, it's basically saying that I will eat my dinner from the sweat of that man's brow. In other words, 
that man is going to do the labor, whatever it was, picking cotton, which is the most widely used term or whatever, pick cotton, uh, plow a field, whatever I want you to do. Okay, it didn't matter. You were the whip. You had, you had physical force. And I could tell you to do whatever I wanted you to do. And I ate my bread. In other words, I made my money. I provided for my family. I ate from the sweat of your brow. That's why I said in the last podcast, that's when things took off. Because a free country no longer had somebody else to do their labor, to make it easier. People had to become creative because they, they didn't want to lose money. They wanted to continue to, to do and live the way that they were living. So you had to get creative. The reason the Greek philosophers, because Athens was a republic. Now, by the time Socrates, uh, Plato, and Aristotle come around, it was in decline, and they knew it. And that's why Socrates was so adamant about trying to tell man how to live. Because he says in, in the Republic, when letters are small, what do you do? You blow them up so they're bigger, so you can read. And so that's a metaphor. By the individual soul of a man is is a reflection of society as a whole and vice versa. So if you teach one man how to live, the right way to live, and he teaches somebody and he spreads the word, you're going to have a certain percentage that don't believe the message, a certain percentage that will try to live better and won't be successful. And maybe one day learn, maybe not. But the more people that know how to live right, the more it spreads. And Athens, the Athenian government said, no, we know what's best for the people. So they, he had like a sentencing phase, I guess. And they basically, it was that if you recant, if you say, I'm sorry, I won't do it anymore. We'll go light on you. This was in Plato's Apology. And Socrates said, no. I won't, I won't stop spreading the word. If you sentence me to death, fine. But if you let me live, whether you incarcerate me or not, I will preach the word. I will, I will philosophize. And I will tell whoever can hear my message how to live, what the right way to live is. And so they convicted him. The second book that I wanted to talk about, and I'm running short of time, I got about eight minutes left. So I'll try to wrap this up. Uh, it's called the Crito, C-R-I-T-O. And it, Socrates had a friend called the Crito, or called Crito. And Crito visits him after he's been convicted and sentenced to death. He's like, look, dude, the government's corrupt. I got the money. I can pay the, the jail guys, the bailiffs or whatever. I can pay judges. I can pay whoever. And we can get you out of here. And you can go back. I, we can get you away from town. And 
you can go and live your life and, and be with your family and your kids. And Socrates said no. Because I, I believe in what I'm fighting for. And I believe man can be different. We're crumbling as a society. And I'm trying to stop it for my kids and my grandkids and everybody else. Because if enough people know the right way to live, then maybe they'll govern the right way. And they'll understand that if you live right, that everybody's not going to live right. You're going to have bad people, people that make bad decisions. Okay, that's a given. That's human nature. But we should be able, we should be free. We should be free to say what we want to say. You don't have to listen. You don't have to agree. And Crito says, no, dude, they're going to kill you. He said, well, fine. They'll kill me. But I believe I know the right way for man to comport himself and to live his life. And even though they disagree with it, I don't believe in a, in a Greek God or some other God. Now, this was B.C., so it was before Jesus walked the earth. So they, these guys were basically pagans. But Socrates was the first one that said, there is a right way to live. And I'm not going to quit telling people what I think that is. And so they killed him. And he sacrificed his life. But he would not relax his principle. He lost his life standing up for his principle. Plato comes along, the student of Socrates, tells these messages, these dialogues. Plato teaches Aristotle. By, by this time, Aristotle comes around, Greek republics are basically crumbled, dissolved. You know, I don't know exactly, but it's basically in decline. Uh, Philip of Macedon is conquered maybe Athens. Uh, Philip of Macedon asked uh, Aristotle to teach Alexander the Great, which he did. And, and he was rewarded by land of his hometown. But these guys knew, especially Aristotle, who tried to capture everything. But he knew that there was a way that people should live their life. And he knew that human nature, for the most part, people want to be good. People were, he said, we are more gregarious than herd animals, um, like horses or swarm animals, like bees or flock animals, like birds. But you cannot be a gregarious animal without politics. And so you have to be good in order to rule yourself. And the more that are good, the better the politics and the government would be. Uh, Aristotle was pretty much handled, you know, he didn't face what Socrates did uh, because Greek, Greece was in decline. Uh, the next one I want to briefly try to cover was Henry David Thoreau. Ralph Waldo Emerson talked about nonconformists, uh, 
I first read uh, Emerson, I think in the 10th grade. And when I read nonconformists, I'm like, that's me. That sums me up to a T, nonconformist. Because I never, uh, I was always a leader, natural born leader. Uh, but from the sixth grade, I learned not to trust news and newspapers and TV and stuff like that. But, and I had a little rebel, but I was a nonconformist. So Henry David Thoreau decides he's not paying a tax. They throw him in jail. Emerson comes to him and says, hey, dude, what are you doing in jail? He's like, I ain't paying a tax. And, and Emerson volunteers to pay it. And he said, no, I'll stay right here because I'm not paying a tax. And Emerson's like, what are you doing, dude? I talk in, it's in abstract. You know, that's how I'm writing in the abstract. I'm not writing it for personal practice. And Thoreau says, that's what it is. You know, Thoreau was a writer, very good writer, great writer also. But he, in other words, it's not good enough to write something and not follow what your your message is. Okay, I'm... I'm following your message in practice. I feel the same way. I disagree with this tax. I'm not paying it. If jail time is a sentence, I'll stay in jail. And in fact, Mr. Ralph Waldo Emerson, you should be sitting right next to me because you are my teacher. You are my mentor. You are the one that taught me. But yet, you're not going to practice what you preach. And that's okay. I am. I don't believe in the tax and I'm not paying the tax. And so Thoreau was jailed. Um, there was an anonymous donor that paid the tax. And I don't think Thoreau, till the day he died, I don't think he actually knew who paid the tax. But he went back to Emerson's property. Uh, I know he lived on Walden Pond. That's where he did a lot of his writing. Uh, but it was just a, an example. And I heard of that example before the Socrates example of somebody that believed in something so strongly enough that they're willing to sacrifice, to go to jail. And I thought during this pandemic that I would not, wear a mask. I, st I still haven't gotten vaccinated. Um, well, I got shingles vaccination over 50. Um, but I'm not doing it. Will, will I risk losing my job if it ever came to it? I don't know. I'm making good money. I don't like the schedule. I don't like the hours. But I like Socrates and I like Thoreau. All right. Goodbye, everybody.